You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we are going to talk about blocking strategies, more specifically team blocking strategies and how you can maximize your three blockers front row in order to give your team the best opportunity to play defense and then in return, play some good offense. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 71 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Oh, another week, another great conversation with regards to volleyball. Um, Hope everyone's seasons are going well. Uh, I am back in my gym officially unofficially actually no I guess you can say officially you know it's 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 really it's I'm happy that I'm back in our gym it's also frustrating to know that I'm one of the last coaches to be back in their gym so I know my friends over in the U.S. you guys have some some coaches have never got out of their gym let alone go, going back in their gym and I know some coaches you know with, with COVID all of 2020 was a write-off and you can you it's just there was no there was no volleyball there was no access to gyms and then now 2021 in the spring many coaches were getting back in in the summer and so forth and I'm probably the last coach uh, that that has been able to get back in the gym our our college and and I, I talked about us being the biggest college in Canada but our president of our college is very 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 conservative so I mean he waited till the absolute last opportunity last possibility for us to get back in the gym but we are back in the gym now we still have some restrictions our entire team is not back in the gym yet but majority of the players are so we're not full capacity yet but we're getting there um and i'm i'm really excited to be able to you know not only get back in the gym but get back into the routine of things and uh and for our digital volleyball academy members I, I've been preaching for over a year now of you know welcoming you into my gym so you can see what we do behind the scenes and get a chance to you know be in the gym with me. So I can't wait for our our DVA members to be able to get that opportunity to come in the gym with me. I'm looking forward to you know sharing all that I can with them, and then just in general, you know, a lot of people that listen to the podcast. Uh, I always I'm always speaking as you know I can't wait till I get back in. I can't wait till I get back in. Well now I'm back in. And now some of the some of the stories I could bring to the pod will, will be more recent as opposed to, oh yeah, you know, last year when we did this and and things like that. But anyways, we're back in. It's exciting. Um I hope you guys uh I hope you guys are looking forward to to your seasons and this season and so forth and stuff like that. Uh today we are going oh actually let me let me uh let me just welcome sorry our um our new listeners if you're a new listener to the podcast welcome to the pod thank you for taking the time out to join in my name is coach brian singh and i'm the host of the podcast i probably should have started that at the beginning of this but that's okay and if you are a regular listener as always thank you so much for tuning in do me a favor rate and review the podcast whether you're listening on uh, on apple podcast google spotify um, i don't know what other platforms i'm out there on but those are the three main ones i'd, I'd really appreciate a review a uh, rating um you know give, give that feedback helps you make the show better and helps me uh, deliver episodes that you know you guys want to hear 
And for their new listeners, you got about 70 episodes to get caught up on, but it's okay. Last week, in case you missed it, last week, um, I had the privilege of interviewing my mentor, John Spira, um, U.S. men's national team coach, as well as the head coach at uh, UCLA. And, um, you know, that's the second time John has been on the pod. John was actually my first guest back in August. Uh, and we, it was, it's a great episode. We talked a lot about player development. We talked a lot about, you know, what he thinks about when he's planning his season, both uh, on the Olympic side as well as um, his men's volleyball team at UCLA. So there's a lot of great information in that episode. We did that um, just last week. So our last episode, that was episode 70. And today, we are going to talk about blocking strategies, all right? Blocking strategies. Now, on episode 50, okay, on episode 50 of the podcast, I talked about the five stages of blocking. Now, that episode was more blocking technical stuff, I guess you want to call it. It wasn't more team strategy. It was like I talked about your initial defensive position of your blocking, your footwork, your hand positioning, sealing, reading. So I talked more about the individual player and how can they, they can improve their block. So you might want to take a listen to episode 50 um, in addition to today's because they go hand in hand. But today, what I want to talk about is blocking strategies. So, you know, how are we as a team... You know, the three blockers that are front court, how are we as a team setting up our blocking schemes? How are we situating our blockers along the net so we can maximize our opportunity to, to get a block and, you know, play some solid defense? So there are three main types of blocking strategies, I'm going to call them, that teams utilize. One is called a bunch. So if you're driving, you know, you have to come back to this, but if you're, if you're uh, sitting down, you can write this down. One is called a bunch block also known as a bunch read, one is called a spread block, and one is called a commit block, all right? The other thing that I want you to pay, so let me just repeat that, so bunch block, spread block, and commit block, and many times you, you may hear bunch read or spread read, and that read at the end of that word just means that we are waiting for the setter to manipulate the ball, and we are reading before we move laterally along the net to block a ball. Okay, so we are reading prior to our decision-making, prior to the block. Commit is another conversation we're going to talk about in a sec, but that's different. So bunch read, spread read, those are words that we use when we're reading instead of actually committing to something before the setter makes a decision. So again, the three common blocking strategies are bunch, spread, and commit. Now, what I also want to pay attention to is that with blocking, a lot of blocking revolves around your middle. You know, the middles have a significant role in setting up, you know, the type of block blocking schemes you're going to do, you know, to an extent. And the way that uh, the way that it works is it, it depends one on how how strong is your middle as a blocker? You know, are they can they read well? Can they move laterally along the net? And then the other thing to to consider is what type of offense the other team is, you know, bringing towards you. Are they predominantly um, hitting pins? So is it a very left side, right side type of offense? Or do they utilize the middle? and Or rather, do they utilize the middle as well as run offense around the middle of the court? So those are things like the pipe ball, the bick, um, all these different routes the middle can run, you know, a 30, a 31, a 51, a back quick, back one, whatever you want to call it. These are all different types of routes the middle can run. So you have to, as a coach, you may want to look at the level you're playing at, the type of teams you're playing at, and determine, do they utilize a lot of middle? Are they more pin heavy? And that might help you to make a distinction of what blocking scheme to run. 
So let's talk about each individual one, okay? So the first one is called the bunch. And the bunch, basically, it's exactly kind of how it sounds, a bunch blocking system. So your middle is in the middle of the court, and if they were to spread their hands to the side of their body, that is where your other blockers would be. So if you notice, they're very close together. They're not for, they're not far away. So so the pin blockers are pretty far into the middle of the court. They're not closer to the uh, sideline. So like I, like again, if the middle is to stand in the middle of the court by the net and spread their hands out to the side of their bodies, that's where the other blockers would be. So they're bunched together fairly in the middle of the court. Now, why would you do this? People normally bunch, and you see this at the very higher level. You know, maybe 17, 18, you may do this. Uh, definitely college, university, pro, etc., Olympics. You'll see um, them run that bunch because a lot of offense is generated in the middle of the of the court. Whether that's a pipe offense, whether the middle is running different routes, and when the middle runs different routes, it's tough for just the middle blocker to be a defensive presence or rather have that blocking presence. Sometimes that middle blocker will need the help from the pitters. And it's just a reality that it is what it is. That middle is going to need help. So how can we help them? Well, if we are bunched together and the middle offensive player runs a back quick, for example, well, guess what? That left side, that left side blocker will now be able to get a hand up and help the middle block that. If they run a 30, for example, well, that right side player, that right side block will be able to help and get their left hand or even both hands up to help the middle block. So that's why our pin hitters will, will come in is to help. If it's a pipe ball where ideally we want three blockers, then guess what? Our pin hitters will be in so they can then be able to help with the middle of the court. So this is a great strategy to use when the middle of the floor has a lot of offense that's being generated. Now, the negative or the drawback to this is that it's a lot harder for our pin blockers to be able to get outside and block a pin attack. So if it's an opposite attack, if it's a left side attack, our pin blockers have to be able to have the lateral movement, the footwork down to be able to get outside and block those pin blockers. Now, at the very high level, you'll see that they've been blocking and working on footwork for years. So it's very, e like not, I shouldn't say very easy, but they have the ability to move laterally along the net, get outside to the pins and make a block. So when you, next time you watch high level volleyball, whether it's Olympics, whether it's college, look and see where the pin blockers are starting from. We call it the initial defensive position. Where is their initial defensive position? Are they closer to the end line or the sideline rather, or are they closer to the middle bunched together? And right off the back, now you know what that is. You're going to be able to see how well can they move to get outside to the pins, or rather you'll see why they're blocking in that way. All right. So that's the bunch block. So again, positives, you help the middle out in the in the middle of the floor. Um, you, you you give yourself a good chance to shut down any kind of middle offense. Weakness, on the other hand, and I shouldn't say weakness, but you can still get out to the pins. But the but the weakness would be it is going to take you more time. It's a lot harder to get out to the pins, uh, especially if you read wrong and you're late. There's going to be a pretty much one on nothing on the pins if you're in that position. Okay, so that's what we call a bunch block. Now the spread block is another blocking strategy, and that is exactly how it sounds. They're 
the blockers are pretty much spread out evenly along the net line. So the middle is still in the middle of the floor, but the pin blockers are closer to the end line. And normally a good IDP, initial defensive position, is if you take your hand and stick it outside your body and touch the antenna, so, you, so you're gonna measure yourself from the antenna, arm's length away from the antenna, and then take one step in the court. That is generally a good IDP for a pin blocker when you're running a spread blocking system. So like I said, a spread blocking is when they are evenly distributed along the net line, fairly evenly distributed, not exactly. And a good indicator, a good marker for where your pin blocker should set up is you take your arm, it's an arm's length away from the antenna, and then one step in the court. And not a small step, but an actual giant step in the court. So that will they'll set up a good defensive position. And what's what that's going to happen is they're going to be able to get out to the pins a lot easier than if they were bunched. Okay, so now here is the negative. So yes, if your team is playing against a lot of offenses being generated from the pins, then you're in a great position here to block. But if the team is running a lot of middle and they're running a lot of middle offense down the middle of the floor from either the middle or the backcourt hitter, then your middle is going to be left vulnerable by themselves to put up a block. Okay, so with blocking strategies, you have to understand there is no one answer serves all. Unfortunately, that the game doesn't work that way. You know, we're in a we're in a game where you have four attackers and you have three blockers. So the in volleyball, the offense providing your in system has the advantage always. Okay, and, and that might be an important point to make note of is that you know I know I'm a very defensive minded coach by the way I really am. But our game is designed where offense wins, providing you're in system. The offense is always going to be is always going to have the advantage, and it's important to understand that. And I know a lot of coaches, the coaches I respect a lot, don't spend a lot of time on blocking because the amount of time dedicated that they will spend on blocking versus what they could be spending on scoring and offense and all the other th- things that are important is not worth it, especially to them, because they realize that blocking is, you know, again, if you're in system, you're supposed to score, not out of 10 times, you're supposed to score because you're going to have the one-on-one or one-on-nothing. So a lot of coaches I respect don't spend a lot of time on blocking, and I, I understand why, you know, the, the numbers are in front of us. I, I beg to differ. My personal opinion is, is block defense is really important, and it sets up a foundation for your defense, and I spend a lot of time on it, and that's just my personal preference, and that's why the volleyball is a great game. You can you're a coach. You make the decision that works best for your team and go from there. So the third thing now is we have bunch, we have spread, and then we have this thing called commit. And commit block is where we're not in a read system anymore. And maybe I should explain this ideal of a read system. So a read system, and it's what volleyball is, is, is being practiced now. Back in the day, I don't think this ideal of reading was as common as, as it is now, but when we're teaching our blockers, we're teaching them to read first. Before we do any kind of movement, we're teaching them to read and then move accordingly. And I've mentioned this in episode 50 already, but I'll kind of go over real quickly, is this ideal of ball setter, ball hitter. And all that that means is ball setter, ball hitter, the first cue is the ball understanding where the ball is being passed from. The second cue is the setter, so identifying where the setter is. The third cue is where the setter sets the ball. Okay, so setter releases, and we have we have to now identify where that ball is going, the height of the ball, 
um, the location of the ball. And then the fourth cue is hitter, and we have to find the hitter. So just real quickly, it's an eye sequence movement. So when we're blocking as a team, and I might be going fast here, so you may have to come back and listen again, but when we're blocking as a team, when your blockers are in their IDPs, you should be, when you're in practice, you should be looking at their eyes and making sure their eye sequencing is on point before the blockers are moving their feet. Because if it's not, that means they're guessing and they're not reading. And that can lead to problems down the road. So after, and here's the, the probably the most important part of the, the four cues is when the setter manipulates the ball, the blockers have to identify where that ball is going and the location of the ball, and then right away, focus on the hitter. A lot of times, and you see this with blockers, whether they're you know, college blockers or even younger blockers. But the problem that happens a lot is when the, when the setter sets the ball, they tend to look at the ball way longer than they need to. Because naturally, you're going to look at this ball and then by the time you realize where it's going, it's too late because you're staring at it for so long and the hitter is probably going to have an advantage on you. Here is the point to emphasize. When you've identified where the setter sets the ball, okay, if the setter has set the ball left side and you know it's going to go left side, you don't necessarily know where it's going on the left side. You just know it's going to the left side. That's okay. You've made a great decision and now your eyes have to look at the hitter because the hitter will tell you where the ball is being set to because the hitter has to go to the ball. So once you've figured out that it's going left side, you then turn your eyes to the hitter right away and you have to do it quickly because you don't have a lot of time to do your footwork over to get to the block or sorry, to get to the hitter. And once you've identified it's going to the hitter and your eyes go to the hitter, then you do your footwork and you line yourself up to block the hitter. Okay. Really important to block the hitter, not the ball, the hitter, because the hitter is going to go to where the ball is going. The hitter is going to come in on an angle to maximize their swing and you're going to cut them off. Now, how do we set up a block? Well, the pin blocker, their job is responsible for establishing the block. So the pin blocker is going to move laterally along the net and go right in front of the hitter's angle. So they're going to split the hitter's shoulder from the center of their body. So the center of the blocker's body is going to go right in front of the hitting shoulder of the hitter. Okay. And the middle blocker is going to close to that pin blocker to then go up strong and have four hands, two blockers, and try to hopefully get a good block. So let me repeat that. Once the players have identified where the ball is going, they have to look at the hitter. Their eyes have to go right to the hitter because if they don't, they're going to be late. And once they've identified the hitter, find out where the hitter is going, they go after the hitter. The pin blocker establishes the block by taking the center of their body and splitting it between the hitter's shoulder, the hitting the hitting shoulder of the attacker, and the middle is going to come over and close to the foot of the pin blocker so they can go up straight and go up and come down. The middle doesn't establish the block. It's the pin blocker that establishes the block for a left side or opposite attack. Okay? It's a lot of information there, but it's really important to understand that. I think I was talking about commit block before I went on a tangent there. So that's that's the cues, okay? So just to, just to kind of digress there. That's the cues. Ball setter, ball hitter, eye sequencing, making sure we focus on the hitter at the last possible, when, when we've identified where the set's going, boom, eyes go to the hitter, we do our footwork over, and we establish a solid block, pin blocker establishes, middle closes, boom, we go from there, okay? So this ideal of committing, committing is the opposite of reading. Committing 
means that when the setters, when the hitter goes and the hitter's jumping, you're jumping. You don't care about the set. You just care about the hitter. The hitter jumps, you jump. Regardless of whether they get set or not, is irrelevant to you when you're in a commit block situation. All right. Now, the only person really that's going to be in a commit block situation is your middle. And this is where I want to tie. I want to tie our last concepts into a little bit here. With our blocking strategies, bunch, spread, commit, the middle has a significant role because the middle has to block an opposing middle that can run a ton of different routes. You know, with our pin blockers, blocking a left side, blocking an opposite, it's not as bad as blocking a middle because there's only so many routes they can run. They're coming in from outside the court on one side and that's it. They're not crossing over to another side. They're, they're on really one side of the court. So it's very easy to track them. Middles, on the other hand, middles can go behind the setter. If you're if you're running a, a women's program, they let you guys to like do that step around, right? So they they can go and utilize almost the entire net line. They're running thirties pushes, you know. They're running gap shooting the gap. They're doing so many different things that the middle blocker has got a tough time to worry about. So let's talk about middle blocking strategy. So middles can do a couple different things. They can commit, like we just talked about. So they can their IDP will be wherever the middle is. They're gonna jump with that middle every time that middle goes up to swing. That way, that they're already there and they can provide somewhat of a good block before anything even happens. So the negative to that is, well, if they're gonna commit with the middle, then no matter what happens, the outside hitters, the opposite and left side hitters are always going to have a one-on-one or one-on-nothing. They'll never have a one-on-two because the middle blocker can't. They're committing with that middle attacker. So if you have a middle attacker who is just dominating you, then you may want your middle to commit to them no matter what. And committing, let me just rephrase it. Committing doesn't necessarily mean you're following them where they go. Committing means you're jumping when they jump. Okay? They're jumping when they jump. Then you have a concept called front the middle. So front the middle and commit kind of go hand in hand, but a little bit different. So fronting the middle means your IDP along the net line is always going to be in front of the middle attacker. So if the middle attacker is running the 30 route, then you as a middle, even before the setter sets the ball, you're moving over and you're basically going to line yourself up in front of the middle attacker. If the middle attacker is going behind the setter, you're already moving over to go behind the setter. So you're lining yourself up in the middle of the attacker, even before the setter sets the ball. That's called fronting the middle. So wherever the middle goes, you go. And all that happens is if they set the middle, congratulations, you're there. If they don't set the middle, then you have to do the footwork out to another player. Now, this is different than commit. If we were committing, no matter what happens when the setter sets the ball, you're jumping with the opposite middle, no matter what happens. But when you're fronting the middle, you're just making sure you stay in front of them wherever they go until the setter sets it. Now, if the setter sets the middle, then you jump and block the middle. If the setter sets an opposite or pipe or a left side ball, then you do the footwork and go over to block that particular type of ball. So that's the difference. Commit block means you're committing to them. You're jumping with them no matter what. Fronting the middle means you're just moving along the net line and making sure that you stay in front of the opposing middle so that if they do hit him, you're there. If they don't, you can still do the footwork over to block another attacker, okay? That's the second thing. Now, the third thing a middle can do is stay neutral. So staying neutral literally means they're gonna stay 
in the middle of the floor. They're not moving until the setter makes a set. Not moving. So if the middle, if the middle attacker is running uh, 61, so they're going behind the setter, you are not following them. You are staying neutral. And you and if the um, if they hit the middle, then it's your job to do the footwork over and get there. If not, your job is to then you know go according to plan. So if you're going to go to the left side, if you're going to go to the opposite side, whatever, you're going to do the footwork then. Normally, when teams now here's where you got it. So now we talked about three things. We talked about committing, fronting your middle, and staying neutral. So now you can kind of see how we can match these to the bunch and spread system. So let me give you a couple scenarios. If we're staying neutral meaning the middle is not moving until the setter sets the ball. What type of blocking strategy do you think will be most effective when the middle is staying neutral? Bunch or spread? Well, if you said spread, I would think again, because if you have a bunch system, then the uh, the pin blockers are, remember, they're arm's length away from the setter. So if the middle runs a 61, well, guess what? The left side is there to help with that block. If the middle runs a 30, guess what? The right side is there to help with that block. So when the middle stays neutral in a bunch sequence, that might be okay because you have pin blockers there to help you. So that's where you gotta start thinking, does my middle stay neutral in a bunch? Might make sense. Now, does my middle stay neutral in a spread? Maybe, but like I said, the pin blockers are now further away. So if the middle runs a 30 or runs a 61, there's no one there to block them. And if you guys know a 61 is a back quick, very quick, it is going to be impossible for the middle to come over and block that. So that's one, that's how you got to start thinking about these strategies. You know, these strategies are only as good as you make them. You have to start matching. Okay. If we're going to stay neutral, what are we doing a bunch read or spread read? If we're going to, now, if we're going to front the middle, if you front the middle, wherever the middle goes, you go, that's probably going to be a spread because the pin blockers are going to be at their respective locations and their IDPs. And the middle will have room now to be able to move laterally to be in front of that middle. If you were in a bunch read, fronting your middle may not make sense because if the middle is going at 61, guess what? You already have a left side that's there. You don't need to front the middle anymore because they're already there. You can stay neutral. And then because the left side blocker is there, you can jump to help when that happens. So that's kind of the way that we think about when we commit, we front the middle, or we stay neutral. I'll throw in one other thing there, but again, you don't, normally this isn't practice, but commit to pin, or I, I, it, the word is commit to pin block, or commit to pin hitter, or rather, I, I don't like to say commit to pin hitter, I just like to say be aware of pin hitter or cheat to pin hitter. So what that means is if you know that a ball is likely to go to a pin, then what you may do is instead of staying neutral or instead of fronting your middle, you may start your IDP closer to one of those pins. So if you're playing against a team that's left side dominant, meaning they love to go to their left side multiple times on a given rotation or in a given uh, rally situation, then you may have your middle block. Instead of staying neutral in the middle, they may stay neutral a little bit more over to the left side. So they're I guess you can call it cheating. Yeah, they're cheating a little bit more over to the left side, so they have an advantage to be there when that ball is set to the left side. What's the negative? Well, the negative is you're leaving an opposite side a little more open, which means you have a lot more distance to cover when you're going over there on that side. Okay, so as as a coach, and this is the great thing about coaching. Coaches, you guys, now that we're talking about these strategies, you guys can decide 
what you want to do based on what team you play. Like if your if your team knows how to do a bunch system, how to do a read system, and your middles understand what committing, staying neutral, and fronting the middle is, you know, if you depending on the team you play, your blocking system changes. If you have a team that's middle heavy, right, you might want to front the middle. If you have a team that's uh, wing heavy, you may want to stay neutral and go from there, or even cheat over to a certain side to give yourself an advantage. So this is where the creativity and the strategy and this is where the coaches make the money is when we could talk about these blocking strategies and how to maximize our blockers to be successful based on whatever's, whatever offense is being ran towards you, okay? Uh, a couple more things I want to talk about when it comes to blocking strategy. Uh, middle here. Let's talk about middle. So when the middle blocker is before the serve is even made, okay, your middle blocker is front row. Your middle blocker, is it's impossible for them to take away all of the court when they're matched up against a middle attacker. It's impossible. So normally, a strategy that we can use is a middle taking away a certain area of the court. Now, the, the two common areas that a middle is going to want to take away is position one and position five. So when the middle is blocking the middle attacker, they're normally not blocking straight up they're taking away a certain area, either taking away area one or taking away area five. And the reason we want to do that is because when we commit to a certain area, it one, makes our block a lot stronger because when you go straight up, if you block an attacker straight up from the middle, they have so much, they, they can go, they can cut away and they can hit, you know, whatever whatever angle they're coming in on, they can cut away and hit five, they can hit one, they can hit so many different angles if you go straight up. But if you take an angle away from them, you're forcing them to hit another angle. Now, the reason that this is important is because, well, one, you're setting yourself up to make a decision and taking an actual area away instead of just going straight up, giving the offensive players more options. So you're limiting their options. Two, you need to communicate this with your backcourt defense. So middle blockers, okay, coaches, you have to train your middle blockers to do this. When they go up to the net, before the serve is made, they have to, like behind their back, they're going to put either a one or a five behind their back. And what that's doing is it's telling your backcourt defense what they're taking away. So if I'm, and it's more, it's more so for the player in position six, by the way, because if I'm a player in position six and I know that my middle is taking away one, well, I'm probably not going to start closer to one. I'm going to move my IDP over to the left a little bit to position five because I know that we're leaving position five a little open. So when I do that, I'm going to take that away. So position five now is a little... Position five, I would say, is now... Oh, my daughter just came in. Hey, I'm just recording a podcast episode. All right. This is uh, this is how you know I'm doing this uh, at home, but it's okay. So, so when we're in position, uh, what I was, I was saying, when middle, when the middle blocker is taking away one, our left side that's in position six is going to be aware of that now, and they're going to be able to come over and take away a little bit more area in position five so that they're there now and the libero, so you have a little bit more chance of playing defense. Okay, so that's why it's important. So let me just recap. kind of lost my train of thought when my daughter came in, but that's okay. Um, when you have position... When you have a middle that's blocking front court, their job is going to be, obviously, you know, we have the commit, we have the front middle, we have the stay neutral, but their job as well is going to be to take an area away when they're blocking the middle attacker. And that is either going to be area one or area five. It's not going to be area six because if we 
block area six, we are allowing the middle to have more options because they can they can go to one, they can go to five. But if we take away one, for example, well, they're not going to go six because six has a defender there. They're going to go normally if they go one, we block them. If they go five, we hopefully have some, some we have two defenders there giving us a chance to put the ball up. All right. So things like that we want to take into consideration. Another type of concept I want to talk about is a concept called fronting the setter. Now, if you if you have me on Instagram, you might have uh, known I talked about this before, but fronting the setter is another very important concept. And what it is, is when your setter is front row, okay, when your setter is front row, that means you don't have a front court right side attacker. You Because the setter is front row, you may have a C ball attacker, sure, but you don't have a front court right side attacker. So why is that important for us? Well, a left side blocker now, the left side that's blocking over there, they are always going to want to make sure they're in front of the setter. They're fronting the setter. So wherever the setter goes along the net line, the left side is always going to move their IDP to be in front of them. Now, there's a lot of things that is great about this. One, the left side will be there to prevent any kind of dumb. So if the setter decides to tip the ball, left side's there. And two, when the setter sets, because there's no, there's no front court right side, if the setter sets it to a middle, guess what? the left side blocker is there to help because they're going to be already right beside the setter and the middle is always going to come in and be relatively close to the setter. So your left side will be able to help that middle blocker and put up a double block against a 51 or a 61 or whatever the case is. So that's another advantage. We don't want the pin blocker to stay neutral when the setter is front row because there's no front court right side. Yes, there's a C ball. And if the setter does decide to go C-ball, it is going to be a higher set, it's further distance, and you're, you're going to be able to get over there in time to prevent that C-ball from scoring on a one or nothing. It's going to, you're going to be there. You're going to have enough time to go over. So fronting the setter is really important because it, one, prevents the setter dumps. Two, it, it allows the middle, uh, sorry, it allows the pin blocker to help the middle blocker out. And then from there, uh, you're able to also, if it's an out-of-system ball, you can also get over and block the pin on an, uh, on an out-of-system ball a lot easier than if you weren't there. All right? So these are the big main strategies when it comes to blocking strategies. We have the bunch read, we have the spread read, and we have the commit. Okay? So these are three things that you're going to have to decide what you want to do as a team of which I, I will teach them all. I, I would teach them all, obviously. And then you can decide what you want to do based on the team you play. And also remember, the middle is extremely significant when it comes to blocking. The middle can do a bunch of different things. They can commit block, they can front the middle, or they can stay neutral. Okay, those are the three main ones. And the other one we talked about was they can kind of cheat over to a pin hitter if the team is wing heavy and you know, you know, there's a likely chance of going there. So they can cheat over to whatever side you decide that it will put you in a better position to play defense. Also remember when the middle is front row, they're also going to be telling the back court what they're taking away, whether they're taking away one or five by simply putting a one or five behind their back, like with their fingers before this, uh, the server serves the ball. And then the other strategy we talked about was fronting the setter, meaning wherever the setter goes along the net line, that pin blocker is going to make sure they stay in front of the setter, one, to prevent any setter dumps, and two, to help with the middle attack. And you're also going to be able to get over to the pin for an out-of-system ball when you have three blockers going up. So a lot of advantages to fronting the setter since there's no front court uh, right side ball. All right? 
So these are the main strategies um, that you know we go over, we talk about when it comes to volleyball. If you are a DVA member, if you're a Digital Volleyball Academy member, I actually have an entire live training on this where I walk you through how to set it up. I show you um, a bunch of pros and cons, and I, I draw like I have my my clipboard, so I'm drawing graphs and not grasp, but drawing lines and showing you how to do this more efficiently. So go take a listen to, or go take a, uh, a look at the live, it's in the live training, the coach's blueprint of the membership. And if you are, if you are a coach and you are not inside Digital Volleyball Academy, but you'd like to be, um, uh, Digital Volleyball Academy is currently closed, but you can go to Digital Volleyball, Digital Volleyball Academy.com. That's Digital Volleyball Academy.com and just uh, sign up for the waitlist and we'll let you know as soon as, soon as doors open. And if you don't know what Digital Volleyball Academy is, uh, really simply, it's, it's my signature membership where I'm able to mentor and help coaches all around the world, no matter where you are, by basically providing you with guidance, providing you with my mentorship, um, helping you get from where you are now to where you want to be, and more importantly, showing you how to get there. So you have more clarity, more confidence in the gym, and obviously, you get access to all my resources. You get to be inside my gym with me, um, all access to my courses and my live trainings. I do a ton of live trainings and Q&A and stuff like that. So it's a really great opportunity for coaches to grow and get that mentorship and there's a lot of members inside DVA you have access to a membership community a private community where you can reach out and ask your questions and get answers uh, it's it's a great great place to be for coaches who want to get better and grow and educate themselves I wish it was around when I was a young coach growing up which is basically part of the reason why I created it in the first place so yeah digitalvolleyballacademy.com and sign up for the waitlist and for the rest of you I will see you next week on another episode of the volleyball by design podcast take care everyone all right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.